All right, we're continuing our series that's going through the summer here, so we're getting pretty far along in. It's called The New Life because Jesus changed the world with two words, and those two words were follow me. And some people actually decided to follow Jesus. You know, they decided, you know what, I'm going to leave my tax collector's booth. I'm going with Jesus. I'm leaving the fishing nets. I'm going with Jesus. And they decided to follow Jesus. And the people who became the disciples of Jesus who decided to follow him, you know, were used by God to turn the world upside down eventually. Uh, It didn't happen real fast, but it was a process there. Now the world is completely different. And in today's world, you know, the Lord changes the world by people saying, yes, I will follow you. And they step into a new life. There is the old way. Now there's the new way. And so this summer, we've been talking about all these different ways of, you know, following Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? Last time we talked about hearing from God, you know, receiving from God, guidance from the scriptures, guidance from the Holy Spirit, how to follow, how to hear from God and follow Christ in that way. Today, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. I don't know that I'm going to do this in a way that <laughs> that is the normal way of doing it. I'm not going to talk about spiritual gifts a whole lot, but I am going to talk about spiritual gifts. I'm going to try to motivate everything, get the greater context of why we even have spiritual gifts. We'll talk about that, and we'll just kind of try to grab a hold of this truth. So today, spiritual gifts, the individual believer's ability to serve in the kingdom of God. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time and, and make it clear. Heavenly Father, I thank you that that you guide us. Lord, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you, Lord, that you guide us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would guide us today in both those ways, that you would speak to us by your spirit and you would speak to us by your holy word. Lord, I know each one of us needs something different from you. And I pray, Lord, you'd intervene in our lives and just uh, download something good into our hearts and into our minds. Lord, bless this time. Father, give me words to say that would be clear. And uh, there's a couple things in here I'm not exactly sure how to say. So, Lord, I pray for your guidance that uh, that the ears that hear would hear uh, better than I say it. So, Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I, I do have a few things to say that I'm not 100% confident that I can express perfectly. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to grab hold of these things and uh, that God's going to do something good in your heart. So here we go. God has a plan. Amen. So we're talking about spiritual gifts. I'm going to start with this uh, declaration that God has a plan. God wants to accomplish certain things, that God has a plan. And let's talk about that plan and how we fit into God's plan today. So God's plan involves you and me being productive citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, being productive citizens of heaven. God's plan involves the people who believe in him being productive for his kingdom, making a difference. You know, we have our vision statement, reach up, rise up, reach out, reach up a real relationship with the living God is available to you. Rise up a real relationship with the living God will change you and reach out a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. God's plan involves us doing things, being productive for the kingdom of God. God has work for his church to do and he expects us to do it. So 
This is where it gets to be not really a popular message in today's Christianity. You know, like we all want hugs and we all want, you know, to have a a God that doesn't expect us to do anything, but he's just going to give us a bunch of stuff without any expectations. The reality is, is that God expects us to put his plan into action. He expects us to be productive, to do things, to accomplish things. So, Again, this isn't a real popular message for today because it's possible that we could fail when there are expectations, but biblically, this is very, very strong. Last time I talked about Matthew chapter 7 a little bit, how I started, you know, in in seeking God and hearing from God, and then in Matthew chapter 25, you know, so when I'm reading in Matthew, now I've had this experience of divine intervention in my life, and it really motivated my Bible reading, and I believed it in a in a very strong, powerful way, you know. And so, think of someone who's just had a radical conversion to Christ and uh, newfound faith in the Scriptures, and trying to understand how this all works, and then reading the parable of the talents, or in the 2011 NIV, the parable of the bags of gold, which makes a little bit more sense. So these people were given bags of gold in this parable. It's a story Jesus tells to make a point. These aren't real people. It's it's a story, an illustration to make a point. So let's read this through the lens of the, the understanding that God has a plan. He has things for us to do. He expects us to do certain things, be productive for his kingdom. So here we go. Jesus is speaking. He says, again, and it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put the money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's like, ah, you know, like what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like this guy, this guy did not steal anything. He returned all of the money to his master. He just failed to bring a return. He failed to bring an increase. And he gets wicked, lazy servant, throw him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, 
Does God expect us to be productive? Well, I would say this kind of indicates that we need to be productive. Let's go to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 15, where Jesus, again, this is Jesus speaking, just like in Matthew 25. Here in John 15, we're at the, uh, the Last Supper. You know, last week we did some from John 14 and John 16, talking about the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus is talking about this productivity again in John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 8, the vine and the branches. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So best case scenario is pruning. Worst case scenario is getting cut off because you are just part of the the plant, but you weren't doing anything, so you get lopped off. Verse 3, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the disciples of Jesus bear much fruit. This is to the glory of the Father. So, you know, there's some strong stuff in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents or the bags of gold, and then John 15, the vine and the branches. You know, he cuts off every branch Every branch where? Every branch in me that bears no fruit. I'm not going to build a theology on that verse, but that's a scary verse. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Then that gets the, uh, you know, picked up, thrown into the fire and burned treatment. Like, I don't want to find out anything about the weeping and gnashing of teeth being thrown, you know, picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. I don't want to know anything like that. So I want to be productive for the kingdom of God. Amen. But how do we understand these parables? We read these things. What's the effect supposed to be? I mean, are we supposed to feel an incredible pressure to perform, you know, like a fear of failure? Like I'd better do this or God's going to get me, you know, or do we look at it from the, uh, you know, a different perspective of, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to take five bags of gold and make it into 10. I'm making it into 20. You know, I want to, I want to get something better than well done, good and faithful servant. You know, do we look at this as an opportunity for our own glory or how do we interpret these verses? Because I think they can be interpreted in a toxic way. You know, that whole, you better perform or God's going to get you, you know, like, and you're going to perform in my church, you know, like, that sort of stuff is toxic. So how do we interpret these verses the right way and make sure we don't end up in some sort of toxic pressure, yucky Christianity? You can see, here's where I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to something and I hope it, I hope it connects. So I'm just going to ask some questions to try to try to help us process this. Here's my first question. What does God want to do today? What does God want to do? What does he want to see accomplished? What, what are things that God wants to have happen today? What are things God wants to have happen in your life today? What are things God wants to have happen in your family today? What are things that God wants to have happen in your workplace or your school or your team or your friend group today? What are things God wants to do 
at Good Hope Church today, in the, the community of believers in Cloquet today, in the body of Christ around the world today? What does God want to accomplish? What does God want to do, you know, in Cloquet, you know, in the whole community or the Twin Ports or the state of Minnesota or the United States or around the world? What does God want to accomplish today? What does he want to do in the marketplace or online in the entertainment industry? What does God want to do in local government or state government or federal government? What does God want to do today? How many lonely people does God want to have still be lonely at the end of the day? How many exploited and hurting people does God want to still be exploited, hurting people at the end of the day today? How many despondent, depressed, hopeless people thinking that life is meaningless, ready to be done with it? How many, how many of those people does God want to have still be in that situation at the end of the day? How many people does God want to not know his love, who he is, and what he's done for them and their value so that they can step into a life knowing their creator, knowing their value, and having hope for everlasting life. So many things that God wants to see different. What does God want to do today? Now, I've heard so many Christians say, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And of course, that comes from scriptures. We're going to read some today, you know. But if we're the hands and feet of Jesus, then, you know, accomplishing the will of God, what God wants to do today is, is kind of up to us, right? I mean, if you look at the parable of the bags of gold, it very much looks like it's up to us, you know, like the, the master goes away and kind of leaves them with the money. Okay, you go do stuff. And then when he comes back, there's an accounting. You know, that, that is a very different picture from, say, John chapter 15 that we read, the vine and the branches, you know, where we must remain in the vine. The branch must be connected to the vine. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. I mean, that picture is very much an empowerment from God moment by moment, day by day, rather than, you know, God gives us some stuff, leaves and comes back. But you can see how both of those uh, have aspects of the truth. You know what I mean? Like we must abide in the vine in order to be productive for the kingdom of God. But we are waiting for the return of Christ as well. You know, so both of these have their aspects, their, their pieces of the puzzle for understanding the truth. So if we are the hands and feet of Jesus, we are the body of Christ, then, you know, having the will of God happen, we're involved in that. You know, we need to be the ones to do that because it's going to be the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus who do that. Now, notice I did not say it's up to you. So accomplishing the will of God is up to us. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to us. It's up to us as a group. I am not at all saying that this is your personal responsibility. It's your personal responsibility to be part of the group that is doing the will of God because it's something that is a group job. It's not something we can do alone. For example, I remember we'd planted the church and we had bought the building and now it's a couple of years later and it's time to build our building addition. And I looked at the congregation, the number of people that we had, the, you know, the financial, you know, reality. And it was very clear that the congregation we had was not going to be capable of building the building addition without me leaning on them real hard. 
and I did not feel that it was my responsibility to lean on them real hard. What I felt was God wants us to build that building addition, so that means we need to include more people because we don't have enough horsepower with who we have to accomplish this. So let's make sure we include some more people. Let's build the congregation up so that building the building addition is not going to be a heroic, you know, monumental task, but it's something that can be manageable. And the ministry won't be about building the building addition. We'll be about connecting with God, growing in our faith and making a difference in this world while we're able to build a building addition that's manageable. So we had to build the congregation up, which meant that it took a year longer to start than what I wanted. And we spent a year, you know, just trying to meet the needs of people, help people find Christ, grow in their faith, start making a difference, you know, build the congregation. Then we were able to build the building addition because it wasn't about making the individuals that we had do twice as much. It was about having twice as many people working together. So accomplishing the will of God is not up to you. It's up to us. The vast majority of the time, it's about including more people to make it manageable. All right. So we're the hands and feet of Jesus. This is wonderfully described in Ephesians chapter 4, which we read in week 7 of this uh, of this series but Ephesians 4 11 through 16 basically describes this greater body of Christ process so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So all of us working together and hallelujah, God does not abandon us to the task, but he empowers us to succeed. Again, you know, from John chapter 15, we abide in the vine, and as long as we stay connected with Christ, then we will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Let me just read John 15, 5 again, because it just, it says it so well, and it was an important message for me to hear, because I kind of had a, you know, parable of the bags of gold mentality. Well, God, you know, when you get back, I'll have done some stuff for you, but John 15, 5 is just so much more of a, a significant way of looking at it. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when Jesus was giving the parable of the bags of gold, he wasn't telling anybody to disconnect from him. We stay connected with Christ. We abide in the vine. Then we can bear much fruit. And in fact, it will naturally happen. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. All right. Well, I want to bear fruit. So that means remaining in Christ. So this John 15, 5 is kind of the headline. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's the plural you. If all y'all remain in me and I remain in all y'all, then all y'all will bear 
much fruit. So hallelujah. The longer version of it is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll read 1 through 11. And this gives kind of greater detail. And what does it mean for the, the leaders to empower uh, the, the followers to do the works of God so that we can be united and, and accomplish these things from uh, Ephesians 4 or, you know, John 15, 5, you know, abide in the vine will bear much fruit. What does that look like? 12, cha- chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So here, Jesus, or I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul is making sure we understand who's in the body of Christ and who's not. The ones who say, uh, Jesus be cursed, are not in the body of Christ. The ones who say, Jesus is Lord, and mean it in their heart, you know, that's who the, uh, the body of Christ is. Then it's continued. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. So here's a bunch of spiritual gifts. A message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So God empowers his followers and then we work together to accomplish his will. So God empowers his followers, each one differently. All these different people doing these different things, all these different spiritual gifts. And I'm not necessarily going to go into a description of each spiritual gift, but you have things that you were born able to do better at than other people. That's a type of spiritual gift. But then there's also like in the season or in the moment, there's an empowerment to be able to do something, you know, that all of a sudden now you're able to do something, you know, and that's, you know, going to be true gifts of healing, uh, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues and interpretation. You know, these are the things that not a lot of people are born that way. You know, this is an empowerment by the spirit in the moment. So we're empowered by God for these things. Then we work together to accomplish the will of God. Now, there's many examples of how this works, but I just want to talk about a couple things, you know, from the New Vision Children's Home. You know, we've got a child sponsorship program. We're working through all this stuff. That's not something one person does, but a whole bunch of people work together for that, you know, all the way from farmers to to house moms to leadership in Jamaica to child sponsors here, to people who go on missions trips. And then besides that, we've got the ministry that goes on to the kids and the empowerment of them into, you know, being followers of Christ. And I've got a friend that was raised at the New Vision Children's Home, uh, who's a Jamaican, he's still in Jamaica, and he just got his first uh, pastoral role. He's a pastor of a church there in Jamaica now. And so, hallelujah, great things are happening there. 
You know, but that's also true for like Mega Camp. We have to work together to make VBS happen. Even the Sunday service, regular weekend services, we got to work together. You know, it takes about 70 volunteers for us to get a, a weekend to happen. And uh, so we got to work together for that sort of stuff. So it's all about the body of Christ working together, empowered by God to do all these things. And we all come together and work together to do the will of God. We are the hands and feet of Jesus to rescue the lonely from loneliness, to end the pa- the pandemic of loneliness, to do what we can to fight against the darkness of this world, the the violence, the the injustice, the all the darkness, the people being exploited, all that stuff. We want to fight against that, rescue people as best we can. We want to do anything that we can to bring light into the darkness, to bring the truth of God into places where where it's not known or understood. So we got all that kind of stuff going on. My question was, when I was a newish believer, was, you know, what if I'm weird and don't fit in? <laughs> you know, ever thought that? I mean, not if you're raised in church, it probably isn't something that you thought, but if you got saved from the outside, you probably think to yourself, man, what if I'm weird and I don't fit in? And maybe you're raised in church and you have the same thought. You know, you're like, man, ah, I think I'm weird and I don't fit in. Well, if if uh, if by weird and don't fit in, you mean that, you know, you reject Jesus and uh, the teachings of the scriptures, you know, then we have a problem. You know, it's going to make it not easy for you for, to fit in. You still be loved, but, um, you know, there's going to be some issues if you reject Jesus and uh, the teachings of the scriptures. But if you feel weird and don't fit in, even though you love Jesus and have submitted your life to Christ and and you love the scriptures and you're trying to learn how to put that into practice, if you have that and you feel weird and you like you don't fit in, then we've got something to work with. You know, that's a great scenario. Because the reality is, is that we are powerful and strong in our differences. If all we had was a bunch of left arms and a pile, what would the body of Christ be like? But we need all the different parts, all these different pieces working together. And if you're one of those lonely pieces and you look at the church and you're like, man, there's no one like me here. That means we need you all the more. So important. Let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians. Now we're in chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, all these different types of people. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So the point is, if you feel weird, like you don't fit in, even though you love Jesus and you're trying to live for him, then we've got something to work with and the church needs you because the part that you play is missing. (laughs) Understand that. All right. So next week, we're going to talk about the fruit of the spirit. So we've got the, the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit, how those things work together. Very important to understand how to 
order that. So that's next week. But I want to finish today with something that's been rolling around in my head. So give me some grace. And this is a great time to, you know, not just like believe what I say, but evaluate what I say and try to understand it. Maybe you can articulate it better than me. But there's something I I think that's there that I'm trying to grab hold of that I I just don't feel 100% confident that I can express it well. So I'm going to do my best. But again, like in YouTube, in the comments, if you think you can describe this uh, in a more effective way or you can say something helpful, I would love that because I'm trying to grab hold of something and uh, and I, I, I need some help. We need the body of Christ working together. So I'm going to do my best right now. So here we go. I am trying to communicate that you are vital, valuable, and important to the cause of Christ, to what God wants to accomplish now, today, on this earth. I hope you see that, that what I'm trying to communicate is that you are vital, valuable, and important to the cause of Christ. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I'd better do a bunch of stuff or God's going to get me. I don't want you to feel alone. I want you to feel like, you know, like you as a believer, as someone who trusts in Jesus and trying to live for the Lord, you belong and you're important. That's what I'm trying to communicate. But when I look at people, I see two major ways that people understand or process value. You know, some people feel valued or they value other people In one way, other people feel valued or they value other people in another way. And see if see if this makes any sense. Like some people see value through love. If I'm loved, I'm valued. If I love someone else, they're valuable to me. Love has to do with affection and caring and that sort of a thing. Another way that people process value is through respect. You know, I am valuable if I am respected. If I can respect you and what you're doing, then I see value in you. So there's a love way of processing value and understanding value, and then a respect way of processing and understanding value. Again, I haven't heard people say this, but this is just what's been rolling around. So feel free to add your two cents in. I think that'd be fantastic. So I also think that a healthy understanding of personal value and human value incorporates both love and respect. You know, respect seems to have to do with noticing ability and character in somebody else. You know, I was a wrestler. And when you'd wrestle somebody and you really put them through some hardships, but they didn't back down through the whole match, you gain some respect for them. Like, man, I've been... I've been in that position and I know what it's like to have to fight through that. And you fought through it strong, man, you know, and, and you gain a respect for, for your opponent because you've seen what they're able to do. You see the, the character, the strength. And so that, that's a value. And I, I grew up with processing and understanding value through respect, not through love. So when I would hear years ago, God loves you, you know, my thought was, oh, okay, <laughs> That's cool, I guess. It wasn't a big motivator for me. It wasn't something that filled a gap in my heart or anything like that. I just thought, well, that's that's an interesting thought. Huh. God loves you is a very common theme in today's Christianity. And it is true. God loves you right now. Amen. I hope you believe that. I hope you understand that because God does love you right now. Even if you don't see love as an important part of value. Now, God is asking you to do something important was a big motivator for me. God loves you. 
Meh. God has something for you to do, something important for you to do. God is asking you to do this. That to me, you know, God has a reason for you to do something to make a real difference. Okay, I'll do that. You know, that was a big motivator for me. God has something for me to do. It was a big motivator. It's not as common of a theme today. It's it's there. It's just not as common as as God loves you. The the idea God has something for you to do, something important for you to do, something he's counting on you to do. That's more of processing value and respect. You know, like God loves me. Okay, sure. Hey, the creator of the universe has something he wants you to do. Really? Wow. Okay. You know, it it made me feel valued and it made me see the value of serving God through like that kind of task-oriented understanding. So again, this idea of seeing value through respect, it's not as common in today's Christianity. It's still there. It involves responsibility and accountability, but also results and real impact. And I want to tell you something. There are things that you can do that no one else is going to do. Some things you can do, no one else has the ability to do, but most of the things that you can do are things that no one else is actually going to get around to. You know, uh, you can be the only parent for your kid, you know, mother or father, you know, somebody can step into that role, but it's not the same. A lot of things, they just go undone if we don't do them. You know, I believe that God is asking you to do something important. I believe that he will empower you with spiritual gifts to accomplish those things. I believe that you're going to need to learn how to work well with others in order to be able to do that. And I also believe there will be sacrifices, but the difference that you make is going to be worth it. Plus there are rewards. So if you're someone who processes value through respect, self-respect, respecting other people, I don't really know how to frame this from, you know, I mean, I can understand God loving us, but does God respect us? I don't know. It seems to be more more of a peer-to-peer thing, you know, this respect. But I do know that God looks at us and like in the parable of the bags of gold, he can say to us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I'm going to make you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So he can look at us and say, you accomplished something valuable. Good job. That to me is different than I love you. You know, I mean, well done speaks to my heart. If you're someone who well done, good job, you did right. You fought through and you overcame. If that gives value to you, you probably process value through respect. And let me tell you, God has a place for you. God has things for you to do. God has things that will bring value to your life, that will help bring value to yourself, self-respect, all of that, but also make real difference in this world. So I encourage you to grab a hold of that. If you think church is all about, you know, God loves me, but what difference does that make? God has important things for you to do. So you need to connect with God, grow in your faith, then you can make a difference. All right, let's land the plane. I want to finish with John 15, 5. Uh, We've read that a couple times. But to me, oops, this is such a hugely important verse because I got this wrong. Again, I read the parable of the bags of gold first. If I'd have read John 15, maybe I wouldn't have made the mistake. But I had in my mind, you know, like, God gives us these resources and then he leaves and we got to work. So I kind of had pictured in my mind, okay, God, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. I'm going to go do a bunch of stuff for you. And it did not work. And then I got to John 15. It's like, oh, I, I wasn't abiding in the vine. I wasn't staying connected to the vine. I was a branch that was disconnected. I'm trying to serve God, but it wasn't working. So again, John 15, 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing, meaning significant for the kingdom of God. So let's make sure we abide in the vine. We stay connected to Jesus. We stay connected to Jesus through worship, through prayer, through uh, studying the scripture, but just that our hearts go out to God, that we stay connected. So that's where we bear fruit, is when we are connected with the Lord. His empowerment is with us. He helps us to work well with others, and then we see great things happen. So let's pray to stay connected with Jesus so we can bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that uh, the last part of that sermon would be valuable to somebody. And, uh, and Lord, also help us to stay connected with you, to not just think if, if it's a task-oriented person, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Let me go do some stuff for you. But Lord, let us abide in you. Stay connected with you in prayer. Stay connected with you in worship. Have our, our ears open for the still, small voice of your spirit. Stay humble before you. Just maintain that connection with you. Lord, help us to grow in that connection. Help us to grow in abiding in you because we know that's where the fruit comes from. We'll have the right words to say. We'll have the right heart to be able to deal with the situation. We'll be in the right place. And so, Father, guide us in that. Help us to really, truly reach up and connect with you and stay connected with you in powerful ways. So encourage us with this. Help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.